in association with the Agri Health Network, it's time for That Farm Life podcast, Planting Hope, Harvesting Strength. On That Farm Life, we talk about that life that is that of a farmer and their family. It's about the day-to-day grind, the good times, the tough times, and everything in between, because farming is more than a job, it's a way of life. And we're here to offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. Now, here's your host, a farmer, a former agri-business owner, and also the pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Arkansas, Archie Mason. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. This is Archie Mason, the host of That Farm Life podcast, and we are so excited that you have chosen to join us today here at That Farm Life podcast. We want to provide any resources or an opportunity for a safe zone to talk about some of the stress and strains of farm life, whether you're a row crop farmer, whether you're a cattle farmer, whether you're involved in agriculture in any way, form, or fashion. I believe we've got some uh, good stories from folks that can help you Make it through uh, your day. As always, that Farm Life podcast is a resource of the AgriHealth Network. Check out our website at agrihealth.net for more resources and opportunity to find out more about us. Today, we're talking with Clay Young. He's a regional sales manager for Kubota covering northern Arkansas. Hey, thanks for joining us today, Clay. Thanks for having me, Archie. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're busy, and as always, uh, man, again, we appreciate your time. Hey, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Uh, born and raised in Newport, Arkansas. Just uh, yeah, grew up out in the middle of a rice field, more or less. Um, uh, my family, uh, my wife is from South Arkansas, got lucky, and I found a girl from further south than me. Uh, she's a real estate ace, agent in Newport. Um, she takes care of, you know, our house. Or she even mows the yard. She one less thing I got to do. <laughs> we got uh, we got three kids. Uh, one lived down South Arkansas. The oldest, uh, my middle girl, is in. She's a physician's assistant at St. Bernard's there in Jonesboro. And then my uh, my youngest, my son, he's a senior in college. We're not sure what he's going to do yet. <laughs> he's good at college. Hey, we, we've been there. We're all kind of good at college. Hey, now, I think you've got another grandchild that's going to arrive at some point, right? We do. We've got two girls right now, and we've got a uh, a boy a boy on the way. And uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but they're going to name him Clay Henry, So, which is a, which is a blessing uh, to me. I, you know, like I say, I don't understand why, because you, know, you look back on your life and you think, I wasn't that good of a dad a lot of times. I was maybe too hard here or not yeah. hard there, but. Uh, something worked out. So, so what's your grandpa name going to be? What do you call Pop Pop. Pop Pop. Pop Pop. Okay. Well, we just had our fourth grandson was born yesterday, Cam. And uh, hey, as uh, you know, this there's nothing like being a grandparent. So uh, there's not. There's nothing in the world. Hey Clay, I know you're that regional sales manager for Kubota, but how many years have you been working for Kubota? I've been with Kubota going on nine years. Um, they hired me back nine years ago when they were coming out with the, the hay tool line. You know, Kubota bought uh, a company, and uh, we've come out with a full hay tool line now. So they, they hired me to do that because uh, that's what my background was in. And I had a small territory from North Dakota to Minnesota to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, that's a small lucky. territory, man. Yeah. After a couple, three years of that, I got lucky and uh, – became the regional sales manager, which just covered northern Arkansas and a little bit of Oklahoma. So 
I get to be home a lot more and not travel quite as much and, you know, still do kind of the same job. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, we're in Arkansas, so we do have, I know here where I am and, and where you live too, we've got some hay uh, folks and cattle people and all that, but we've also got a lot of row crops and that's primarily, I know the Poinsett County is like number one county for rice production I believe if I'm correct in that, but you guys are entering into the row crop market with some bigger tractors. You want to tell us about, about those just uh, just a little bit? We uh, we are. Uh, Kubota's got a plan. We, uh, we They looked at it and decided, you know, this is something we want to do. We want to get more and more into that larger horsepower market, and they're doing it, I think, very, very smartly. They're doing it step at a time. We, uh, we, we hit 140 horsepower with the M6, and then they came out with the M7. Uh, which goes up to 170 horsepower. So it's kind of yeah, that's kind of that bridge in between the two. Uh, it's a great, great hay tractor. Um, and now then we've come out with the M8, which goes up to 200 horsepower. Um, so they're they're doing it step at a time. Uh, hope hopefully within the next year or two we'll be at 250, uh, and they're just going to keep continue growing and, and trying to you know, ease into this market because it's a it's an extremely tough market. Uh, you know, the row crop guys, um, it's a different world. So uh, we're, I think we're trying to do it the correct way and, and move into it slowly so we can kind of manage our way into it. Yeah. How old is the Kubota company? Because I know the smaller Kubota range of tractors have been around a long time and really all over the world. So so how do you, you, you know when Kubota got started? Kubota is a hundred year old company. They started, uh, the, the founder was a guy named Ganshiro Kubota, and uh, he was a kid, and uh, he, he he had a dream of helping people. He wanted to help people, so he, he started actually in a foundry and, and building water pipes because, you know, where he lived in Japan, they didn't have access to fresh water, and, and, and he saw a need and had a concern there, and he, he, that's where he started, building water pipes to help the people locally, um, and that turned into a little... Uh, two cell or one cylinder engine, and from there, you know, it's grown to, to what it is now. It's just a it's Kubota still does a, a ton of water distribution, a lot of pipes, a lot of water purification systems around the world, uh, in addition to the tractor business. Yeah, well, I think everyone probably in the ag industry, you know, we got a lot of listeners, uh, in the United States and other countries, and so everyone is uh, pretty well aware of the durability and the, uh, of the Kubota engine. And it's in a lot of different types of, uh, construction and ag equipment. It is. I, you know, I didn't know until I went to work for Kubota, just a, a small fact that Kubota actually builds more under, under 100 horsepower diesel engines for ag use or off-road use than anybody in the world. I mean, we're, we're a huge engine manufacturer. Like you say, you never know where it's going to be on a Mudmaster or a, or a yacht in the ocean, you know, their little Kubota engines are, are everywhere. Yeah. Hey, uh, Clay, before you started working for Kubota, you were in the Army National Guard. Hey, what what made you or caused you or motivated you to uh, join the Guard? Well, it's you, know, you look back and you think, I'm not sure. It was <laughs> <laughs> seemed like the good, the right thing to do at the time. My dad was a military guy. He spent 38 years in the military. So, you know, I had that background growing up. I never really thought as a kid, that's what I wanted to do. But 
I ended up joining the guard. Um, I was in the guard for a couple of years and my dad called me one day. He said, Hey, listen, you want to go OCS? I said, I'm thinking, you know, it's just another way to make money. Another, you know, another school I can go to or whatever. I said, yeah, what's OCS? He said, don't worry about it. You should be at this building with Camp Robinson and Little Rock on Saturday morning at this time. I said, okay. So I show up and it's officer candidate school. And I didn't know anything about officer candidate school, but undoubtedly that's a school where they holler at you a lot and make you do a lot of push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> Since I had no, no information going into it, I think it was, may have been intentional on my father's part. Uh, I was standing there with nothing. I was standing there in a uniform. Everybody else had their duffel bags, all their equipment and stuff, and they were looking at me like, man, what are you doing? And here it went. I became the king of push-ups. It, it turned out great. I mean, uh, the, going into the military uh, helped get my head on straight. It, uh, and going to OCS forced me into college. If I was ever going to make the rank of captain, I would have to go to college. So it forced me into college, and it, it, you know, it just directed me in a lot of different directions that I may not have gone without it. So how many years did you spend uh, in the Army? 21 years. 21 years. So what, what did that get you to as rank-wise? I went retired as a major. Wow. So I need to start calling you major young now. Is that correct? <laughs> I'm, you have to call me major retired. <laughs> hey, I know. I was, I was actually in Iraq when I hit my 20-year mark, and uh, we had meetings every morning. 6 a.m. meetings, you know, the staff in, in the meeting room. And I showed up that morning. I'd already bought me a coffee cup that said retired on it. And I set it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of Iraq now, you uh, you were deployed uh, with your unit. Uh, tell us uh, a couple of different times, maybe. Tell us about that. Well, we were first deployed uh, to uh, Egypt. I mean, 15 days following 9-11. Uh, I got a call. You got to meet at the general's house. He lived in Conway. So we, we met at his house in Conway. And he said, guys, we, we're going to Egypt, or you're going to Egypt. We took our battalion, headquartered out of Cersei, to Egypt on a, on a mission called the Multinational Forces and Observers Mission. Uh, so we did that. Uh, funny thing is, everybody came to see us because we were a National Guard unit. This is the first time they had deployed a National Guard unit for a duty like this since Korea you know, a full battalion. So the secretary of the army came, the vice president came, everybody came to see us. And the secretary of the army was there. And, he, and I asked him, I said, secretary White, I said, how often do you plan on, you know, deploying guard units for missions like this? And he said, uh, is it major young? You know, at the most, you know, once every 10 years. And everybody's like, you know, that's, that's, that's cool. We can do that. Well, we get home less than a year later, we're loading up to go to Iraq. <laughs> Either he didn't know what he was talking about, or he's a very good storyteller. <laughs> so well, we ended up in Iraq, and Egypt was a was a good trip. It was a good opportunity, a great training, uh, and, and Iraq uh, was a different story altogether. Do you do you feel comfortable talking about uh, maybe some of the maybe some of what you guys are doing in uh, Egypt and Iraq? I mean, can you share anything yeah. about that? Egypt was a, it's, it's a protection mission. It's a, it's a, it's a mission that keeps Israel and Egypt honest with each other. We, we, uh, we've got outposts all up and down the Sinai, all the way from the, uh, from the Gaza Strip to the tip of the Sinai Peninsula. 
and uh, we're just watchers. We we, we keep uh, Israel and Egypt honest with each other following the Seven Day War. Um, that's when all that started. So that was a mission that you know we got the opportunity to do a lot of training in the desert, something we you know, didn't normally get to do. We were infantry guys. You know, uh, I listened to one of your other podcasts, and uh, uh, I can't I can't recall his name now. The uh, the chaplain, the veteran chaplain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he said he, they were mechanized infantry. You know, we were what you call light infantry. They drove vehicles. We walked. So. Uh, when we got to Iraq, that's what we were. We were more or less, I mean, we knocked on doors. We lived downtown in Baghdad, in a neighborhood. Uh, we didn't live on one of the big files. We lived out in the community. And uh, we were we were in direct contact with the bad guys every day. So it was, uh, it, it was a very intense part of life. But, uh, and, you know, you, you talk, and I know a lot of this show is about stress and, and a lot of that stuff, you know, you have to be careful. You talk about PTSD. Uh, man, I, we've lost more soldiers since I came home. Uh, you know, you were talking about the, uh, we're all the 22. We've lost more soldiers since we came home than we lost when we were there. And it's a sad, sad thing. Um, yeah. It's it, PTSD is very real for uh, for a lot of people. And not not just from military, you know, from, from all walks of life. But uh, it's, it's, it's tough. I, uh, I'm glad we realized it because we're, we're actually able to help people. Now, I, re- I remember a story my dad told, uh, Mr. Tommy Coleman. He's, uh, he's with the Lord now. I went to church with Mr. Tommy growing up. He was a World War II vet. And dad would go visit Mr. Tommy over at his house. His wife had passed away. You know, kids moved off. And uh, every room in the house would be a radio blaring, loud. And dad would have to, you know, he'd say, hey, Tommy, can you turn that down a little bit? And one time Tommy told him, he said, Dean, I'm sorry. Let me turn that down. He said, when it gets quiet, I go back. Oh, wow. So PTSD was a very real thing. It has been forever. We just had to recognize it. So I think, you know, uh, we're lucky enough to live in a time where we realize what's going on with these these folks and, and are able to offer some help to them. Yeah, and I would agree with that. You know, you just made me remember, too, my dad, which he served uh, on an aircraft carrier in the Navy. And I remember when my cousin went to Vietnam and he came home, I remember my daddy just making a comment. He said something, you know, it's one of those things you're a kid and you hear your parents talking about something. He just said, he said, the war has messed him up. And uh, talking about my cousin when he came home, no idea. You know, now I look back and I know that he's, suffered from PTSD is what it was with yes. all the things he was around. And then he was involved in drug abuse. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that took place. So, well, you know, I can remember too, when uh, I went to seminary with a uh, guy, this was in the nineties and he had been deployed uh, late nineties. And, and uh, he would, uh, uh, he would sleep whenever he could sleep. You know, he was trained in that way because of what they went through. So even in the middle of the day, if you had 10 minutes downtime, you were out and uh, and then, too, just the way, too, I would hear kind of stories of how guys, they'd slept so much in foxholes, always carrying their gun, how they would when they would sleep. I remember mother contacting one time. So my son, when he sleeps, he sleeps with his his hands like they're on his rifle. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's just trained in that way. Well, hey, Clay, I know I speak on behalf of all the folks out there. Thank you for your service, <laughs> you know, to our country and uh, the uh Secretary of State probably had no idea what was coming when he said once every 10 years. But I know there are many, 
hey, many who serve and put their lives at risk. And, uh, you know, and you make a good point. And I think it's something for all of us to realize out there is that you made that statement. You said, you know, we've lost more since we've come home than we lost while we were there. And uh, that is a true statement. And so, you yeah, know, for, a, hey, for all those who are listening out there, too, it, it, you might be a veteran like Clay and 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 you may be suffering from uh, PTSD. Any way we can help you here at Agri Health, uh, uh, please let us know. Just drop us an email at info at agrihealth.net and we'll try to point you in the right direction. Hey, also, too, Clay, uh, I know that whether your work uh, or, you know, in your service in the military or civilian career now, there's always stress. What, hey, what is something that you do to help you when you're stressed out? Well, it's, people say I'm crazy, but because I work with tractors all day, every day. You know, it's just my life, it's, it's tractors. But what actually gets me away more than anything is to go get on my tractor. And we've got an M5, 111, 110 horsepower tractor. We've got a small farm outside of Newport here. Uh, I keep the roads maintained. I bush hog. You know, I plant sunflowers. I've got a. I keep a few bees. I'm I'm not near the beekeeper that Miss Angie is, but <laughs> I keep a few hives of bees. Um, but that gets me away. I mean, that tractor is uh, that's that's where I go to talk to the Lord, and and you know. Because it's just me by myself. I don't have time to think about everything else because, uh, you know, your mind's busy watching what you're doing. Um, and, and the stress, I mean, in, in, in this business, the agricultural business, I, I'm in a position where I see it from all levels. I see it, you know, I, I, I absorb a lot of it from the, uh, from the dealers, from the sales guys, from the uh, store managers, from the dealer principals, because they are absorbing it from the customers. You know, we, we, we can't get this tractor. Uh, we can't, uh, you know, that car's back ordered. Uh, you know, this, this machine's down. We've got to find a machine to let him run. You know, it's just a, it's just a constant. Uh, and the world as it is right now has really compounded that. It's made everything worse because availability of stuff is, you know, worse now than it ever has been. Um there's always something it's a cv boot for an rtv or it's a it's a roll cage for a 50 horsepower tractor there's always a shortage of something uh you know and it's just compounded that uh, the, the farmer I, I feel really really I, I try to stay in touch with the guy running the machine you know because uh we're, we're in the world where a lot of these people make a living they don't have another job uh, this is their living that machine they get on every day you know maybe it's a a mulching machine on a on an SVL or or you know an M7 tractor that's doing hay wheel. That's he's a cow guy. That's how they make their living. And when it goes down, they're out of a living. So you know you have to stay very cognizant of the fact that we do we we do have people relying on us. But that's what I do. I I go get on the tractor. Hey, also, aren't you building you a like a small cabin on your farm? We pulled 10 acres off of the farm to, to build this. It's where my sunflowers are. It's where the bees are. And I decided I wanted to build a place to work bees, you know, keep to get the bee boxes out of the garage. Because, <laughs> uh, So uh, I started with a plan to build a small place to work on bees and stuff. And with my life's input, it has become something a lot more. Um, it's become a full-blown cabin now with a, with a small area to store my stuff and work bees. And one of my buddies in Newport, 
He said, man, why are you building a cabin two miles from your house? And she's crazy. I said, listen, I travel for a living. And when I want to get away, I don't want to have to come home, pack up, get back in the car and drive two hours to get away. I won't be able to jump on the RTV, leave my phone on the counter and be there in five minutes. You know, that's where the tractor is. That's where the fireplace is in the cabin. That's, you know, that's just the porch to drink coffee. That's, uh, that's just where I want to be. So. Well, Hey, I'm glad, I'm glad Miss Carol gave you some good input then on that place, man. She and, did. She's uh, given a lot of good input. You know, and uh, hey, you got to get it finished and bite me over so I can come over and drink coffee with you. So uh, we will. My father is 87 years old, and he's <laughs> more excited about it, I think, than anybody because it's got a porch on the south side. And you know, down here in the Delta, as a general rule, it can be 100 degrees. But we've got a south wind. Yeah. So there's always a breeze across that porch. And he is more excited about just coming, being able to sit and drink coffee and watch the world go by than anything. Well, that'd be exciting, man. I, I'm happy for you. You're going to have a place like that. Hey, what? one other question. We'll close out. Hey, sometimes uh, when we're stressed out, we got to maybe take some things out of our lives or move some things. Is there something that uh, maybe used to kind of get you worked up, uh, get your stress level high that you had to get rid of? You know, it's funny you ask. I used to I drive a lot, spend a lot of time behind the wheel. And uh, I was really bad about listening to uh, – the talk networks, you know, whether it's uh, Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh or, or, or whoever. And, man, I would get so keyed up. I would walk into a dealership, you know, and, and a lot of these guys are they're on the same page as me. And we'd set, we wouldn't get any business done because we would gripe about, you know, this or that or just everybody be mad and fired up. And uh, I finally said, you know what, I've got to quit listening to that. And I, and I have, you know, very rarely – when I'm pushing through the buttons while I stop and listen to it, I got to where I put it on a Christian radio station, listen to music and, you know, just, it just, it calms me down instead of keying me up. But that was a, it, it made a difference. I mean, it made a huge difference because that's, that was my life, you know, for, for several years, just constant, you know, constant feeding on that, uh, on that negativity or, you know, the, that, that news and uh, I think it will it will direct you in that direction. Yeah. So, hey, just taking that out of your life, though, uh, you would say is this kind of uh, ease it up. And, hey, I, I agree with that as far as Christian music. Uh, same thing I do. And then, too, which I know we're doing a podcast. So I do listen to the podcast that I like and have an interest in. And uh, so and it's pr always pretty informational in regard to that. Hey, uh, Clay, thank you for sharing your story with us today and taking the time to do that. I appreciate it very much. Bet you, you know, uh, one quick thing. Uh, I did start listening to this podcast. It's called That Farm Life. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's got <laughs> stuff on it too. So that's exactly right. That's it. Hey, thanks for the plug. I appreciate that, Clay. You bet you. Hey, when we're stressed out or overwhelmed, a lot of times uh, we're trying to figure out something to make our situation better. Hey, like Clay said, sometimes we just need to change our habits or take some things out of our lives. Everybody. Uh, tries to deal and handle stress differently, and that's okay, too. Hey, if you're enjoying the Farm Life podcast, I want you to do something for us. Won't you leave us a rating or a review uh, on your favorite podcast app? Share this episode with a friend. Uh, that That's going to help others find us, and uh, maybe they're going to need some encouragement they can receive from the podcast. As always, you can email us with comments or questions at info at agrihealth.net. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back 
uh, next week. Until then, keep farming and keep the faith. You've been listening to That Farm Life Podcast, planting hope, harvesting strength with your host, Archie Mason. That Farm Life Podcast is a creation of the Agri-Health Network in conjunction with Grounded Faith Ministries, where we offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. You can learn more about who we are and what we do on our website at agrihealth.net. That's agrihealth, one word, dot net. Thanks for listening, and until next week, keep the faith.